Welcome to Advent, everyone. So this is where you can tell how long I, I preach each week by how far the candles burn down. It's like the, the ancient timekeeping method to keep pastors in check. Um, to, to <laughs> you won't tell when I replace the candles with a new one, no. Um, but we, we, we've got a video I want to, to play to kick off this, this first one on, on hope, if you can put that on now. I, I wanted to, to, to kick off with that just so that we can kind of get some common language as we talk about these things. But, but the, we're, we're reframing everything now for, for Advent. And, and if you haven't been around with us for, for Advent before, um, it, it's really my, my most favorite time of year. Not just because I love Christmas, but because Advent itself, I, I liken it to whenever you have an engaged couple before they're married. Because th there's no other season in your life where you'll have this longing and this waiting for something that you know is like right there on the horizon. It's this beautiful season that, that nothing else can compare to, and, and it's an important season, right? What you do in that series of hoping is something you won't ever to come back to and be able to do again. So how deep the roots go, how powerful it is, that's what Advent is whenever we're thinking about Christmas. It, it's, not, it's not the prelude. All right? It's not just the warm-up and, and getting ready for things. Advent is this whole season where we sit in a longing and an expectation, and it does something to us in that season until we get there. Um, if you haven't been through Advent before, it, there's a consistent theme. We, we, we talk about the same elements every year, but it's not as if we're just recycling the same things. In fact, in my whole time as a pastor, people tell me I'm crazy. I've never preached the same sermon twice. Every week, I, I, I go into uh, my, 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 my prayer time, and I ask the Lord, what is it for us this time? And N.T. Wright has this quote. I do use some of the same quotes, by the way. I come back to those. But N.T. Wright has th this quote talking about Advent like the, the wheels of a bicycle. And the wheels of the bicycle may turn around, and it's that cyclical thing where you see the seasons change, and the, the tires of the bicycle go round and round and round. However, that bicycle finds itself in a new location every time that wheel goes around. It's never the same. We're not the same that we were a year ago. At least I, I hope you're not, right? And that means that Advent brings something new to you today, that the idea of hope, joy, peace, and love means something new to you this year than what it ever possibly could have a year ago. So when we press into this thing, whenever we understand that the Lord's saying something to me here and now, Advent is really beautiful. Advent, though, it, it, it's, a, it's probably considered a christian ease word, but it's really not that. It's just the, the coming of something. It's when something breaks into the scene. We can talk about the advent of television, the advent of the space age. It comes from this Latin idea of, of the coming, but there's also this word we kick around called the parousia. That's Greek for presence, and we use it to talk about the second coming of Christ. So we're talking about the coming of God's presence. And of course we saw that with Jesus when he was born, a, a fully divine, fully human who walked this earth. And we understand that we're now in this place where we're longing for him to come again, that his presence there, even though we have it already here in part, right? So we have this really kind of weird thing. Matthew 24, 42 phrases it this way. Stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. It keeps us in this place of waiting, of longing, of hoping. I think sometimes we, we want to fall into one camp. We're tired of waiting. We're, we're tired of longing. We want the, the, the full satisfaction of whatever it is now. You know, you want to go down and, and find where the Christmas presents are, are hidden and rip them open so you, at least you know what's coming so you can prepare your face whenever you get another pair of socks. So you're ready to show, oh, yay, socks. Just what I wanted. 
Actually, I, I do like socks, by the way. So I, I got some fun taco ones that y'all still make fun of from time to time. Or the pineapple ones, I think, have gotten more, more reactions. But in the, uh, in the vineyard, if you'll forgive me for the SEC reference, Advent just means more. Anybody? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a football reference for the, the conference that George is in, if y'all don't know that. But one of the most well-articulated teachings of the vineyard is that we are a people of the, the kingdom now and not yet. And this is vital for our understanding of, of when we talk about God's healing, when we talk about doing ministry differently, that we have this understanding that, that we have now what happened on, on the cross when Jesus was inaugurated as king. It brought his kingdom here on earth as it was never before. But we understand, and I've got a slide that, that shows us, that there's a time coming when he's going to be here again, whenever we have heaven and, and earth colliding in a way as we've been promised, as we're longing for, as we're waiting for. But now we're in a time of tension. Now we have, but in part. Now we, we understand things, but not as we perfectly will one day. So in the vineyard, when we talk about the now and the not yet, it means, well, it, it helps us understand this whole mess. And it's a whole lot easier for churches to say, well, you know, Jesus is, is, is the, the Messiah, he's the king, he came, he died, so everything that, that, that you long for can be realized here and now, and you just, you know, Christus victor, he, he's the, the victor over all things, we can have that. Or we have people talking about, you know, the suffering servant. Well, it, you know, it, Jesus hasn't come back yet, so we're in this age of poverty, we don't have these, it's both. It's both at the same time. And so this idea of, of longing, of waiting, it's perhaps the most vineyard thing, but it's not just vineyard. This has been the church ever since. I think what we're good at is putting some language to it and, and helping people understand it. But, but this is one of the oldest teachings that when Jesus came and said, but I'm going to come again, it put us in this place of hopeful longing that is perfectly realized in Advent. When Christ died and was resurrected, the world didn't carry on as if nothing happened. Things changed. The balance of power had shifted. Sin and death had lost its grip in a way that wasn't possible before. And we're still in that age. Jesus is Lord. He reigns. The kingdom has come, but we're waiting. So Advent's not just looking back and remembering the birth of Jesus. We're not getting ready to do the, the, the play where we remember again, you know, Jesus was born in a manger, and we, we do these, these cute little stories for all of us to remember. It's not looking backwards. It's also looking ahead. It's remembering that we have a longing as the church, that, that there's a better day to come, that, that what we see now is in part what we're going to realize one day in full. We're longing for him to come again. So we're going to stay in this passage that we've been in, in Galatians, um, but we're going to level set it. I'm going on three weeks, y'all, but I'm going to get over this cold. <laughs> so Galatians 5 has been what we've been talking about, the fruit of the Spirit. And what I loved about it when I was beginning to look at the church calendar and realizing how we we're going to be talking about the, the character of Christians and, and kind of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like as we spend time with the Holy Spirit, how it changes us, it, it's a perfect way to, to get into Advent. Because what the church is about is heralding the reign of Jesus here and now. And when we are in step with the Spirit, when we're acting like Jesus acted, when we are a representation of him, of him here on earth, then we have inhabited this place with heaven. When God's people act like God would have them act, in power, in authority, in character, in deed, in action, 
we are somehow in that place where we're saying the kingdom is here now. You used to think it was okay to treat each other this way, but guess what? The kingdom is here. The, the king is looking over this. The king's rule and reign can change the way that you are here and now. There's a few ways I think that we, we can think about this idea of uh, Galatians 5. And I, that's a very small font, I apologize. Um, the, the first one is I think we read those fruit of the Spirit as we've been going through and we think that's what a Christian looks like. Well, you're, you're, you're not wrong, <laughs> right? It, it kind of describes that idea of, of what we should be. And that can either be aspirational or it can be judgmental, right? And I feel like this is what we get. If we just read Galatians 5, and 23, which I'm not going to read right now because we've been reading it every week, but it, where it talks about what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? If you just read that passage, you might walk away thinking, that's it. It's meant to tell me what I should be, and if I'm not doing that right now, then I have work to do. And that's as far as we take it. If we add some context, we see there's a little bit more. My, my Bible has a little subheader called Life by the Spirit. Oh my goodness. And this is where we see the comparison. <laughs> I, think, I think my ear is not the right shape. I'll have to work on that. It doesn't recognize that I've not been chosen by the microphone. So the uh, life by the Spirit is where we see the comparison between what the world does and the people of the, of the character of God. Where, where it says there, there's the, the drunkenness, the envy, the, the orgies. You know, it's got a very descriptive talk about what people do. And we see how the world is acting. And then we see, but the fruit of the Spirit is like this. And I think that that helps us take it a little bit further to realize that we're going from someplace into something else, that life by the Spirit changes us, right? It's not just a description. It kind of lets us see that there's something different, something better, something that sets us apart. But there's another way of looking at that I'm hoping we're going to lean into here for Advent. And I'm going to kick it off with Galatians 5, same chapter, just a little bit earlier, all right? And this is what we see in verses uh, 5 through 6. For through the Spirit... We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Just, that's a bold statement that I think a lot of people in the church would be upset to hear. <laughs> the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I, that, that's worth pausing on and letting that settle in your spirit. This frames the fruit. This is what we go through to get to this part that we all know about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, all those things. This is what frames this. This is talking about that coming righteousness, all right? The faith that we have brings us to this hope of righteousness. We're not adhering to a law to produce fruit, right? We're not trying to be good enough to deserve the fruit, we're not trying to, to protect this thing so that it can grow in a way that, that it's there. We're not earning our fruitfulness. Our character, the fruit of the Spirit, is evidence of the kingdom come now. Our character, the fruit of the Spirit, is evidence of the kingdom come now. Yet it's not the fullness of all that it can and will be. Boy, <laughs> there's still more. Because the fruit 
has to behave in a certain way in context, in action. It has to be involved in the context of community. <laughs> so this passage beautifully tells us what we're longing for, waiting for, hoping for. Advent, parousia, it's summarized as righteousness. Our hope is called righteousness here. And that is putting us in a place of tension because we think of righteousness, we think of goodness, we think of, of trying to adhere to a set of, of laws, but, but what we see here is that's not the, the understanding that Paul is trying to say. That hope that we have, that righteousness, it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not about adhering to the law, doing the right thing and not doing the wrong things. It's not about trying to behave a certain way. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about love, joy, peace, kindness. That's the hope of righteousness that's manifesting in who we are. I've got this um, Venn diagram here that starts off here of character versus works. And I think that this is how a lot of us think about this. I'm this person and I do these things. And there's this area of overlap where the, the, the person that I am is, is kind of revealed to the world. And so we, we think, you know, I, I've got all these things that I, that I am, but they're not always in, in, in practice, you know, and, and I, I kind of keep these, these Venn diagrams separate to myself, which really helps us, I think, give ourselves grace that we might not extend to other people. We might judge everybody based upon what they do, <laughs> right? But we understand for ourselves that there's this little area of overlap, and that's where I want you to judge me. Whenever my, my generosity is, is there at, at Thanksgiving, you know, we're not going to talk about March 12th where, you know, I'm just going to try to get mine. But, you know, in this holiday season, this is where, right? We, we kind of look at these things and we kind of look at the way I am in church, maybe not the way that I am at, at home with my kids. And we, we try to keep these things separate, giving ourselves the luxury of seeing that. However, I think the next picture is what Paul is trying to call us to, where those circles are absolutely overlapped. I gave you a little bit of grace. You see how there's a little bit there? Because we're a work in progress. But the idea of what Paul is trying to say here is that who you are and what we do is the same thing. All of these fruit are meant to be realized in action. The character of the Christian has got to be what we do. It's the same thing. So Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why is he talking about the law and character as if it's the same thing? Do you get it? It's kind of poetry. Because this is the law. This is what we're prescribed to be. This is what's meant to be coming out of the Christian. This is the manifestation of who we are. It's, it's not that it's got to be a religious duty of, of paying this much money for your tithe. It's not about the religious sensibilities of going to the temple and doing these sacrifices. It's about none of that. It's about who we are being realized in action because, it, it, of course, it's going to be visible. The actions of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, the like. That's the worldly ways. And then you compare it to love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're rebutting one against the other, you want to be apples to apples. You want to say selfishness compared to selflessness, right? You want to talk about pride compared to humility, but he doesn't do that. He lists these obvious actions, and then he talks about the character of the Christian. You see how he does that? 
Because one is righteousness. It's doing something behind the scenes. He underscores that what we do is a function not of who we are, but who God is and the time that we spend with him. I want to say that again. He's underscoring that who we are is not who, what we're doing, but it's who God is and how much time we're spending with him. That's what brings us out. When we stay in step with the Spirit, that fruit of the Spirit, you can tell if somebody's been hanging around with God because they start acting a different way. It rubs off on them. Paul's essentially saying, of course people who don't spend time with the Holy Spirit act like that. Why would you expect anything else from them? Of course that's what, it's logical if they're not spending time with the Spirit. But you don't have righteousness just because you modify your behavior. It's not that you just try to act on it a certain way and you put on a mold and just try to do things. He's saying it has to come out of who we are. Spend time with the Spirit and you will find joy. You will find kindness. You will find forbearance. You will find goodness. It, it logically follows. What else could it be? So I've been calling it through this whole series kind of character, but that's not really a good re- representation of it. Character is not really what we're talking about here. Paul describes it as righteousness. The hope of righteousness. All these things that we're talking about, that is being a righteous person. Not based on legal adherence. So uh, apologies, because I I feel like I'm going to be rather pedantic today, because I think we have to unlearn something in order to to see it from a a different lens. So from our our, our punch list that we had above, the, the quick and unsatisfying Advent hope sermon that I can give, like if we're talking about hope, the, the sermon can be that we're a people who hope for a better world than what the world itself can give us. Perfectly fine sermon. Nothing wrong with that. I've probably preached that sermon before. I agree with it theologically. It's fine. That's not wrong, but I don't think it's ultimately that helpful. All right? It's like a, a halftime speech that boils down to, hey, score more points than the other team. Completely accurate. True. If we score more points, we will win. But it doesn't really help you get there, right? What I want to know as an athlete is like, hey, I don't know if you've seen it, but he favors his left side. So cut inside, force him to the right. You know, things like that, which allow us to mobilize and to do something differently because of what we've seen. That's what hope really is meant to be. Not just that we can understand and see the world differently, but we can do something differently because of this truth, because of this reality. Paul in Galatians isn't telling us that, that Christians are hopeful. He's not just identifying this so you could pick one out in a crowd and say, hey, that, that guy there, he's hopeful. He's probably a Christ follower. He's not even saying that a hopeful life is a nicer life. We talked about the Thanksgiving people. People want hope. People need hope. If you put them on the table and you're going to say you can be hopeless or hopeful, everybody's going to choose hope. It, it, you don't have to sell somebody on this idea, but it's not as simple as just going up and grabbing it. It has to be changed from the inside. He's telling us, he's reminding us, he's encouraging us to be people that reveal the Spirit through our life instead of forgetting and returning to the patterns of the world, those patterns that that we knew of religion and and adherence to a law, trying to recreate something that that somebody once told us would be the, the, the answer. And so we're, we're going back to the law thinking, maybe I can find it if I'm just good enough. Maybe, maybe I'll be hopeful if I just read the Bible more. Maybe, maybe I'll find hope if I, if, I, if I do more in church, if I'm engaged more with church. If I, if I do more service, maybe I'll find this hope that, that the pages seem to tell me I should have. When Paul is saying, spend time with the Spirit. Spend time with the Holy Spirit. 
It's about that relationship, and this is what comes out of that. If you're looking for it in circumcision, if you're looking for it in the law, they're pointing to the same thing. Spend time with the Father, and it will come. So let's lead it, read this whole thing again. Galatians 5, I'm going to give you one more verse in it now. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You see why I left that one out earlier? Punch you a little bit more this time. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Hope is specific. It needs an object, all right? It needs to be able to be recognized, articulated, so that it can change what we do today in pursuit of that hope. Can you tell me your hope? You don't have to shout it. But can you legitimately articulate what is getting you out of bed in the morning? What is your hope? And I think what we want to do is we want to characterize these things as, as saying, well, this is my religious hope. This is my personal hope. This is my, my financial hope. And, and, and we have these buckets where we're trying to identify our, our lives. And I think to be a hopeful person puts all of this in one bucket. When we recognize what God is doing, if we can articulate it, be better. You ever tell your manager your career goal is to keep doing what you're doing but make more money at it? Yeah. I tried that approach <laughs> myself. They were not impressed with my candor and honesty. <laughs> you know, but this idea that we await for the righteousness for which we hope. Is your hope characterized by righteousness? I mean, I, I don't feel like that's often what we would articulate as what we hope. If you're asking me what I, what I want to be, who I, what I'm longing to see, what I'm longing to be a part of, how I want this to go together— righteousness may or may not make the list of things when we think about selfishly what I want my life to be about, what I want my legacy to be, what, what I want to see with my own eyes, experience with my flesh, how I want to see the world shaped and changed around me. But I'm going to challenge you that righteousness actually is the embodiment of the life that is satisfying, that's fulfilling, that is actually what the Lord has promised. He says, I came to give you life and life to the full. Where the disciples said, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. All of that is wrapped up in this idea of righteousness. The, the cliff notes, if, if you haven't heard this before, I, I find it handy anytime that you hear righteousness to understand it as right standing, right? Because I think we put so much baggage on the word righteousness that we hear righteousness and we think, well, that means I have to be doing the right things. That means that, that my actions are going to look like this. But the idea of, of longing for righteousness means I'm longing to be in right standing with God, counted as a friend of God, Counting as a confidant of the Spirit that he tells me what he's doing. Counted as a participant that because we're working together, that's righteousness. The fact that Jesus gives us our right standing with the Father makes perfect sense then. And, and I love that idea of right standing because it, it takes this idea of, of it's by grace or it's by works and one's a manifestation of the other and how they kind of work together. It just wraps them in the same bundle, right? Because if everything's going well, we're in good relationship, then it all kind of makes sense. But we have that same problem, I think, even with right standing. We're waiting for righteousness. We're waiting. We're longing for right standing with the Father. Wasn't that accomplished on the cross? Welcome to Advent. <laughs> Welcome to the kingdom, now and not yet. 
Because I think a lot of us have, have confused this, and what we've made this about is that my salvation is my hope. We've made it that, that my, my satisfaction in this is going to be that I go to heaven when I die. That what I, what I, what I want to be is in right standing so that no matter what happens between here and there, I don't know who I'm going to be in five years, but it doesn't matter because once I went forward and prayed a prayer. And because I went forward and I prayed a prayer, then I don't have to worry about anything else because you know what? It's already, it's already ticked off. I have that taken care of. I've got my, my insurance policy paid up and I'm going to be fine. And we've missed the idea again of what it means to stay in right standing with the Father. A place of tension where we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we skip over that verse because it's like, I don't know if we want that. <laughs> We'd rather have it worked out in advance and be able to say we're done so I can move on to maybe the more interesting or pressing things that I hope for. I want to hope for a promotion. I want to hope for a better car. I want to hope for a larger house. Whatever it may be, because we're not actually hoping for righteousness. We're hoping for something else. The biblical understanding is that we're working it out in fear and trembling. Not that we've grasped it, but we're hoping for it. We long for it. And in the meanwhile, our lives take on a new shape because we work it out. So we're dependent. We're looking. We're seeking. We're asking. We're knocking. We're listening. But not cluelessly. Not just making it up and making assumptions. Not once and then never again, but an ongoing process of longing and waiting and seeing it a bit more today than I did yesterday and coming closer to the, the shape and form where I have joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, because that thing that I'm longing for is beginning to take shape here and now. And this wheel may turn around and I'm in a different place this year, but I can tell, I can tell that the kingdom has come in a very large way and it's going to continue to come because that's how good my father is. And with that understanding, we look at this, Galatians 5, 25 through 26 again. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other, because we're working it out. Because we're figuring this out as we go. We want to stay in step with the Spirit. Wherever He's going, we want to be. We don't want to say, got it done. Now I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to do the things that I want to do. I want to try to take care of my own things. But we look to see what the Spirit's doing. And we say, yes, we follow Him. Our hope is found in the work of the Holy Spirit. And as the video in the beginning said, in a person. We're best served the more specific we can be. There's this book, uh, Surprised by Hope. If you haven't read it, I really recommend you read it. I read it, and about 15 pages in, I was struck by how much of my faith was based on Renaissance medieval paintings rather than the Bible. Truly. How much of our understanding of, of what we're meant to be as Christians comes from a Renaissance painting or Dante's Inferno or these cultural ideas of, of Satan with the pitchfork and all these things rather than what the Bible actually says, rather than what Christ came and actually said. And I looked at this and I felt shook because what I longed for, what I thought I was supposed to want wasn't what I was finding in Scripture itself. And what is actually promised in Scripture, the hope, the Christian promise in Scripture, is actually better. And, and we have forgotten this, and we substituted it, and we just act like it's all okay. When our actual hope of redeeming this world, having redeemed relationships, and seeing the kingdom come now, and coming in more completion then, that it's a better picture than one day we'll go to heaven when we die. 
going to heaven sometimes feels more important than joining in the redemption of all creation. Or for us in a more modern expression of church, being anointed feels more important than bearing the death and resurrection and having Christ-like character. Or being right and being certain matters more than embracing mystery and diversity. Our hope is based on Christ's life, death, and resurrection. It's based on God's faithfulness and character more than our own. That's why it's a hope. It's based on him, not on us. And we want to be based on us because then we can control it. Then we can quantify it. Then we can tick it off. But if it's based on the Holy Spirit, we have to listen. We have to watch. We have to follow. This hope, biblically at, lar- is, uh, biblically at large, it's specifically in, in Galatians, isn't knowing or having something. Okay, Hope, by definition, means you don't have it. <laughs> you don't hope for things that you already have. We long for things because we see them, we recognize them, we say, that's what I want to be like. We realize that that that's the life that I want to have, and hopefully it's not a white picket fence, but hopefully it's those relationships. It's showing a, a, a person of peace, no matter what circumstances are going on, that they can come to that place of assurance with the Father. Why do we hope? Because we know God's faithful. I heard him tell me what's on his mind and his heart. It was a a profound revelation for me recently to to realize, again, it's obvious on the surface, that the kingdom of God has a king, right? And that that really does matter. The thing is, when we honor Christ as king, I think we think of it by this worldly lens of of people seeking positions of power and influence and authority. People want to be influencers. People want to have the world shaped to their whims. And I think that I put that on Christ and say that was his ambition I'm not going to worry about that. I I want him to be a servant to people. I like that better than recognizing him as a king. But if we really look at what it is to be a king, that he goes and he battles on behalf of his people, that he stands to judge between them, to ensure that justice and mercy is distributed across his land, to make sure that, that the resources of the kingdom are shared with all the people in the kingdom, That a land is beneficial if the king is a good king, looking after it, caring for it, loving it, guiding it, directing it. All of that falls on the shoulders of a king. We have someone to fight for us, to protect us, to provide for us. I've been so bogged down with my democratic republic that I'm, I'm prone to be suspicious of a king. A good king benefits his people. Thing is, we can't pin our hope on a president or a senator political party or CEO. I mean, you can try, but you're going to be disappointed. That's just the way it's going to go. But understand that when we say hope is a person, it's not just religious speak, because we understand that. We we see a a person we like in a position of power, and we kind of think, maybe it's going to be better. We have a a manager who looks after us, who has has some some good qualities, and we think, oh, maybe they're going to benefit me. We understand when we say hope is a person, that makes sense to us, because we do that all across. We see that person, maybe they've got something that's going to work out for me, that that I can understand that things are going to be better. So in the wake of Christ our hope, the hope of Israel, Galatians Galatians tells us righteousness, character, the fruit of the Spirit, is purpose. It's directional. It leads to a person and his power, his authority, his plans, his answers, his wisdom. Hope takes us to somewhere on purpose. It's not a personality type. All right? It's evidence of the kingdom now and not yet. It's not a hopeful person. It's just how they're built. 
It means that we actually put stock in this. We invest in this. We lean into this relationship saying, I long for this from this person. So hope changes what we do here and now. We try in church to lead with the why. Okay, we try to explain why we want to do Thanksgiving outreaches. We try to explain why we want to worship, why we do ministry, why we, we don't just do these things in a pat way, but, but the, the why matters, that everything should be examined, that, that whenever we engage, when we preach, whenever we don't preach, there's a reason behind it that matters. If you're in leadership, I believe all of God's people are called to be leaders in, in, in some capacity. You can call it salt or city on the hill or whatever, but we have to be a people of hope. We have to be a people of hope because that's what people are going to be following. So why be righteous? Why have righteousness if we're not earning something, if we're not trying to satisfy an obligation? Because we're going somewhere. We have to be going somewhere. The church is not an institution that exists to try to maintain itself for another week. All right, we're not trying to just keep the lights on because, you know, we've been doing this for a thousand years, two thousand years, and uh, man, I don't want to be the one to drop the ball. Just give us another seven days. We're going to try to do this thing. We're not maintaining something. We're going somewhere. The why matters. Jesus was always going somewhere, doing something, achieving something. His call to follow me wasn't just agree with me or understand what I'm saying. Follow me. We're doing something. We've got some work to do. Have you seen this place? We've got some work to do. Let's get on with this. Because aimlessness without direction, it's just really sad. It's a wasted life. It's a wasted opportunity, wasted potential. It's just drifting at sea without any idea of where to go. Jesus is going somewhere. Your character has purpose. Righteousness has a purpose. We can't be in step with the Spirit if we're not going where He's going. I used to, uh, to build websites for tennis events. And you know what? You can't find any evidence that I ever did that job. <laughs> and it feels pointless at a certain point. You know, some men build buildings. Some men have done all these things, bridges, connecting people. I put up tennis websites, and I got scores to people milliseconds faster than had I not done my job well. Wow. <laughs> Is that where we're going? Or are we trying to, to just maintain these things? Hope tells us we're going somewhere good, somewhere worthwhile, somewhere that changes and shapes this world. That's hope. That matters. Keep in step with the Spirit. In the vineyard, again, we say that the way in is the way on. It's not deferred. It's not for one day in the future, maybe if I get everything else right, then I'll start to feel hopeful. Hope is for you here and now, that you know what to do today and tomorrow, and we understand that it's taking us someplace. Follow me makes sense because he's going somewhere. I love this story of, of Pablo Castles. He's this brilliant cellist, and I, I've, I've shared this story before, but he made a, a remark in his 90s um, that he was practicing so intensely and he w didn't have any concerts or anything coming up and this interviewer is coming and they're asking him, why are you continuing to practice so hard? And he says, I think I'm making progress. I think I'm seeing some improvement. He was going somewhere. He, he understood that, that the skills, that the, that the, the music kind of had this life and he wanted to be a part of that. It's this idea of I'm going somewhere for, I'm not just going through these motions because of habit. I'm not just trying to satisfy some checklist. I have to go somewhere with this. It, it only makes sense that I do something today because of where I'm going with this. 
Hope is how we're prepared to join him where he's going. There's this parable of, of the virgins, right, with the lamps, and some of them have them, them lit, and they're, they're just wasting their oil. Others are prepared, knowing that someday the, the, the bridegroom's going to come, and when the bridegroom shows up, they have to be ready. Georgia, I have every hope to believe, is going to be in the national championship game. <laughs> if I believe that they're going to go in 2024, I can get a ticket right now for $880 to 1600 Ridiculous, right? For the current season, average price of a ticket right now is over $5,000, $5,017. The more expensive seating options are up to $51,319. So if I believe, if I had hope two years ago that we would be going to the national championship now, guess what? I could have bought a, a ticket really cheap and then sold it for $50,000 profit, right? If we have hope, we do something differently now because we know where we're going to go. <laughs> right? I, if I know what the Spirit's going to be doing, how do I prepare myself now because I know that that's going to be it? Do you see? Sometimes we're just out of step. We're living selfishly. We're doing everything over here because we think, ah, I don't really know if that's going to come through or not. Do, do I know that the Spirit's really going to show up with power to heal? Do I need to know how to pray, how to do ministry? Do I need to do all that? Or can I just, you know, take care of my own? I'll, I'll worry about joy some other time. How important really is worship? If we know where the Spirit's going, we do something differently now because of who He is. We hope because Jesus said, I've told you as friends, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He tells us where He's going and how to join Him in the work. How do we know where to meet Him? Because he told us. Because we know God. One final note. I think that there is a collective hope that benefits us over an individual hope. All right, a lot of us have selfish hopes. A lot of us have things that we aspire to ourselves and things that we want to partake in ourselves. But I want to tell you that biblically, collective hope is way more beautiful. And we can borrow from each other. We can encourage each other. We can redirect each other. We can use this communal hope to understand where we're going. I know that y'all don't care if Georgia wins the national championship. That's a personal hope. <laughs> Jeremiah 14.8 says it this way. Although our sins testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your name. For we have often rebelled. We've sinned against you. You who are the hope of Israel... It's Savior in times of distress. The hope of Israel, our collective hope, the, the best that all of us can hope for, the best that we long for, being mindful of all of your people, not just me, but you're taking all of us someplace better. An individual hope always runs the, 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 the risk of being contaminated. By definition, individual hope is more limited and smaller. We have to make sure that we're not confusing wishing with hoping. Not the same thing. When we wish for something versus when we hope for something, it's not just what we, the language that we use. It's how we can connect it to the righteousness and the person of Christ. If I temper this with, <laughs> if I temper this with love for my neighbor, if I look at my hope for the next generation as well, we come closer to being in step with the Spirit. I like this quote. It's not biblical. 
But it says, society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. Lord, my hope is that those who follow after me will have it better than this. I'm moving in step with something of the Spirit because the love is for the entirety of this. The love is for, for greater than myself. It's beyond me. It's the hope of Israel. It's the hope of glory. It's, it's realizing that this world is better off the closer it aligns with the kingdom of God. So we need to lead the world via hope. We need to show them a more perfect way. Can you come back up, Ethan? We need to give a purpose and a tent beyond just trying to stay clean. That's not what righteousness is. And I want to realize for Advent in particular, it's meant to be realized here and now, not just some future date after you die. So self-evaluation. What, what is your hope? What are the things that, that you do? Are they found in the person of Christ? Are they fulfilled when the kingdom comes close? Do you have a godly hope? <laughs> can you articulate it? I really want you to, to, to work that out for yourself. See if you can articulate what it is that you're hoping for. Can I put words and language behind this to say, you know, what, what I've been longing for, I didn't realize it was selfish. The thing that gets me out of the bed in the morning, it, it, it's something that I could accomplish with my own two hands. Or is it found in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God when he comes close, when we have joy and peace and kindness and gentleness? Is, is that restoration of relationship? Is it, is it to see that the world it can be a better place than what it is here and now? And that we can lend ourselves to, to our, our hands and feet and our voices into this chorus of everybody who's come around here saying, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Use my life, use my mind, use my hands, use the work of my hands. Because we want to see your kingdom come. Because too many people live without hope. I mean, it, it, it's plague of this world that we're in. It's not an accident when people say that they've lost hope. Really what it comes down to is I think that they've never had the right hope to begin with. And we spend our lives chasing dreams that... that, that we thought maybe would be the satisfaction of, of a well-lived life. Never realizing it was always just a lie. It was always a facade. It was always a, a substitution of, of, of a worldly dream, of a worldly desire. It's that first part in Galatians without getting to the fruit of the Spirit. Because it doesn't feel as satisfying. To say, I, I hope for, for righteousness that looks like joy, it feels like just religious speak. It, it feels like just words. But when we realize that this is the evidence of the Spirit at work among his people, when we realize that this is something that we can't construct with our own hands, but it is something that grows naturally because he's come close. And if we can trust that, to look at him, to come close, to give space and time, that's a gift. It's a gift. So what I want us to do right now just sit and wait on that. I can uh, engage with you in ministry. We can, we can pray for you. We can bless you. We can say these words. But again, if we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it's best given by His hand.
Advent, the season of, of longing for presence. We pray, Lord, let your spirit come close. So church, I bless you to be a people of hope. May the Lord's righteousness overshadow your own. May the work of your hands be substituted for the work of his. May you hear the plans of your good father calling you in step with him. May the fruit of the Spirit shape your life. Not a false hope, not a worldly hope, not a selfish hope, but something that changes us today and brings us closer to the best expression of who you were made to be. Come, Lord Jesus.